0: I want us to start by saying, there's more. I I just want to tell you that. You think you've got it, there's more. You think you've seen it, there's more. You think you've experienced it, there's more. There's more. I didn't even know what to call this sermon tonight because I wanted to call it, go with the flow. I wanted to call it, get in the flow. I wanted to call it, there's more. I wanted to call it, go deeper. But I didn't call it any of that. I gave it a title I thought you would remember, sleeping with your swimsuit on. Somebody said, you must have got that from Perry. I said, no, but I'm glad I thought of it before he did or he would have used it. So I gave it a title that I thought you would remember, Sleeping With Your Swimsuit On. We're going to take an unusual look tonight at a very familiar passage of scripture that you've probably heard a lot of people preach on in Ezekiel chapter 47 about the river of God. And I'm going to focus tonight on the flow of the river. We're going to look at different things, but I'm going to talk about the flow of the water of the river and how some people think they're in the flow, but they're not in the flow. And they don't even know how to get in the flow because they're doing all the wrong things to get in the flow. And they don't even understand why the flow is there. What most people are calling the flow is a flow of a worship service. And they think that if they get in the worship service that they're in the flow. But the flow doesn't even happen in the house. It only happens when you leave the house. So the flow doesn't happen here. This is only the flow of a worship service. This is not the Holy Spirit flowing out into the world. And so we're going to talk about that tonight, how you can get in the flow. My dear friend Mitchell Toll told a story that I've never forgotten. I don't know if you have know Mitchell Toll. He's one of the great American artists. He's, he's painted the sitting portraits of the, four, of the five-star generals that hangs in the White House. He painted presidential portraits. You probably have seen the Kentucky Wildcat. That's also one of his. He's one of the great American artists, but I don't know him just as an artist. I know him as a gospel preacher because he is also the pastor of a church in Lexington, Kentucky, a Pentecostal church that I've preached at many times. And Mitchell was telling a story about when his daughter moved away and took his grandkids, and he cries when he tells the story. How his daughter moved away and his, his little boys kept come up to him. And they called him Papa. And they said, Papa, how far is that? And, and he said, Well, it, it's a it's a, a far piece. Well, can we still meet for lunch? No, no, it's too far. We can't meet for lunch. It was a thousand miles away. And he said, He saw these kids every day, every single day they came into his house. They had lunch together, they ran around his table, and his heart was ripped apart part because they had to move so far away. So he said, this is what we're going to do. This, this is how he made them feel better. He said, this is what we're going to do. I found a hotel between my house and your house with a swimming pool on the inside, and we're going to meet halfway, and we're going to go swimming. So those kids moved away, and they called Papa almost every day. When are we going to get to go swimming? He said, well, it's going to be soon. And after a while, they met halfway, 500 miles both ways, and these little boys were so excited about, going swimming they got there at two o'clock in the morning and when they rolled in at two o'clock in the morning they jumped in the bed with their papa. and the first thing they said is "Papa, we come to go swimming when are we going to go swimming and he said well not now it's two o'clock in the morning we can't go swimming now and he said they tried to go to sleep and one of them woke him up he said about every 30 minutes somebody would he'd feel somebody like this on this Papa, is it time to go swimming these little boys were so excited they couldn't even go to sleep and about 15 minutes later somebody said "Papa, is it time to go swimming about five o'clock in the morning he said nobody's going to get any sleep so he told the boys he said hey boys why don't we put on our swimming suits and go swimming at five o'clock in the morning at the hotel and they said oh we don't have to he said what do you mean you don't have to he said we slept in our swimming suits we came expecting something to happen we got we met you expecting something to happen because we've talked about it long enough it's time to do something not just talk about it anymore so i want you to i want you to understand what i'm talking about tonight i'm talking about expecting more. I'm talking about not getting complacent with where we are in the body of Christ and not getting, not thinking, yes, I love the dancing. I love the jumping. I love that. And I try to keep up as good as I can at my age. You know, I'm not old by any means, but I'm not 20 either. And by the way, I loved the music of the 80s. I just want to weigh in on that. I just have to say that for my generation and uh, anyway, those of you that were here earlier, you know what we're talking about here. Anybody else from that era? There you go. We're here. We're, you're representing tonight. But I got to tell you, I love all of that. But I often wonder what happens when we leave. I love it when people fall out, but I wonder if anything happens when they get up. I love it when you put oil on somebody's head, but I wonder what happens when they wipe the oil off. I I love it when someone gives a powerful word, but I wonder what happens when the lights go off and the PA is turned off. I wonder what happens after this flow. Does anything flow after this flow? Did the community get changed? Did the kids in our school get changed? Did our neighborhood get changed? Or are we just enjoying the holy huddle and the holy dance? Because it is fun. We know how to party in the spirit. It's a Holy Ghost party, and there ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party because a Holy Ghost party won't stop. And we all know that, right? But what happens after the Holy Ghost party? What happens? Well, there is more. You see, one of my concerns in the body of Christ is that we've started enjoying services. You think that's, that's strange, right? But the word enjoy is the word amuse. And the word amuse in the Greek is ah, not, muse, think. Not thinking. So we get amuse when we're stressed. We turn on TV and the next day we can't even remember what we watched. Because we checked out our mind. It was a nice distraction to check out our mind for a while and we don't remember what happens. And sometimes a sermon gets so enjoyable, we didn't write one thing down and we can't even remember it the next day. God didn't give us a word because our memory's not that great. We didn't bring a Bible. I'm not fussing at anybody because I can't really see you there. Either. We didn't bring a Bible. We didn't bring a pen. We were not here expecting to learn anything. We were here expecting to feel something. And we feel something because life is numb. We feel something because life is rough. And we want to come to feel better, not be better. We want to feel better, but not do better. It's almost like when Jesus turned over the tables of the money changers because they bought and sold the doves. He said, you want just enough God to get... See, the dove was not a sin offering. It was a guilt offering. You want just enough God so you won't feel guilty, but not enough God to make you change your life. You, won't just, you, you didn't offer something that takes away your sin. You just offered something that made you feel better. And sometimes I get concerned that even in the body of Christ that we get so amused by church that we're just checked out and we're not growing in the Word. We're not memorizing Scripture. We're not growing the Word. Every now and then, the Word shouldn't be enjoyable. It should be convicting. How many of you know sometimes a service ought to make you feel bad instead of feeling good because the light of the gospel just shine on your life and God said you got to change something that's going on in your life And so that is one of my concerns. So as I get into this word tonight, I want you to go ahead and open your Bibles. I want to read to you. I'm only going to deal with a few verses. And by the way, you have my outline in your hand, so you don't need another outline. My outline is going to be every one of these verses. I'm not going to change and go to any more scriptures. We're only going to deal with seven verses tonight, okay? So let me read the seven verses starting in Ezekiel chapter 47, Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, and in front of the temple faced east, and the water was flowing from under the right side. Okay, everybody say east. I want you to remember that. Everybody say right side, and everybody say south of the altar. Okay, so I want you to get that. If you don't understand those three things, it's gonna be hard to understand how the flow works, okay? Right side, toward the east, south of the altar. Very, very important bearings here. And he brought me by the way of the north gate and led me on the outside of the outer gate that faces the east, and the water was running out on the right side. Verse three, and when the man went out, to the east with the line in his hand, he measured 1,000 cubits and he brought me through the waters. First of all, everybody say the man. The man. God sent me a man that showed me how to get into deeper water. Now listen to this. The man went out, to the east with a line in his hand, and he measured 1,000 cubits, and he brought me through the water until the water came up to my ankles. He measured 1,000 and brought me through the water until the water came up to my knees. He measured 1,000 and brought me through the water until it came up to my waist, and he measured 1,000. and the river that I, And it was a river that I could not cross, for the water was too deep Water in which no one, uh, water in which one must swim, a river that could not be crossed. Now let's skip down to verse eight and nine, and then I'll end there. The water flows toward the eastern regions. Notice how that word keeps coming up eastward, east. Eastern eastern. now, it flows toward the eastern region, goes down into the valley, and enters the sea. When it reaches the sea, its waters are healed, And it shall be that every living thing that moves wherever the rivers go will live. There will be a great multitude of fish because the waters go there for they will be healed and everything will live wherever the river goes. Now he's telling you, he keeps repeating that because he wants you to understand this. So I want you to look at verse 1 again. I just want to deal with verse 1. He said that he brought me back to the door of the temple and there was water flowing. And and then he tells you where it's flowing. Here's what you have to understand. When we started this journey of the river, it was in heaven. When we end this journey of the river, it's on the earth. There is a connection between this river from heaven to earth that is bringing something from heaven down to the earth. So the river is flowing from the temple of God, but now when you see it, it goes down into the valley of the earth and even into the sea. So here is a God connection that we're invited into. Here's the thing you need to know about this. The river is very real. It is a real river. It's not an imaginary river. It's just not a spiritual river. It is a real river. The flow is real and the glory is real. But everybody that shouts doesn't move in glory. Everybody that worships does not move in the flow of the Holy Spirit. There are some people that just love the beat. Some people just love to worship, worship. Some people can't worship and I'm not going to ha- get on a hobby or here. Some people can't worship unless their favorite song is being sung. Uh, uh, get, can I just say something about worship? It's not about you. It was never about you. It's not even supposed to be about you. Worship is about him. Worship is not your gift. It's his gift. And and you're not it God never asked us one time if we like the song. God never asked us one time if we like the beat. God never asked us one time if it was our genre. No, if you can't, if you can't worship, if you can only worship to one style of music, then that's idolatry. That's not even worship. You're worshiping music, you're not worshiping God. You if you can worship to this style, which I love and can, you can also worship to bluegrass, and you can also worship to Southern gospel, and you can also worship to a hymn, and if you got to hang up about any of that, you have a pride issue that needs to be dealt with. Well, Let's move on from there. That was a hit and run that I didn't even see coming. I just want to say thank you to all of our ministry partners who help us take the gospel around the world and train pastors and leaders around the world. Uh, because of you, we have been able to do so much for the kingdom and expand the kingdom of God. Uh, I was able to train over 5,000 church planters just in the country of India alone. We've worked all through Africa as well as Europe. Uh, Every year I go to Romania and train pastors, and we've trained hundreds of pastors there in in Romania. We've graduated over 3,000 pastors from programs, certificate programs, just in Central America. Uh, our teams and our, the young men and women that I've taken on the field with me, numerous uh, young ministers who I just want to give them experience and, and uh, help them to get their feet wet in ministry. We have gone around the world spreading the gospel and none of this is possible without you. I just want to say thank you for your continued support, whether it's a one time donation of any size or whether it is a a monthly donation that you've decided to partner with us uh, monthly. I just want to say thank you for that. And for those of you that are looking for ways to give to this ministry, because it is a good seed to sow in and we're doing things around the world. Here's a screen that would tell you some easy ways that you can give to this ministry. But once again, I just say thank you from the bottom of my heart and from all of those lives that you are changing. It is my honor to be your ambassador to the world. All right, so let's move on. Okay, now he gives us a line of demarcation. He gives us a defining line now listen to what he says. He says that in the door that leads into the temple where the river's at, there is a threshold. Everybody say threshold. Now, a threshold is either a metal or a wooden piece of uh, uh, something flat on the ground. You can tell I'm not a carpenter, on the ground that you have to step across to get in the inside. Here's what you need to understand. It is a decision. The first thing you need to know about moving in is you have to decide before you go in that you're going in. You don't decide if it feels good I'm going in. You decide before you move in that you move in because the threshold is a place to enter. It is a place where we enter God's house. And here's the thing you need to understand. Worship is the only thing that can get you into that room where the river's at. Worship is the only thing. And here's what we need to understand about worship. Worship is not about God blessing you. Worship is about you blessing God. Worship is a gift you bring to God. It is not a song that is sung that blesses your life. Whether it blesses you or not, you should worship because worship is not about God coming down. And we make it all about us. God come down, Holy Spirit, you're welcome. Coming to this room like, like it's not his house. We can't invite someone to their own house. He, this is his house. He, we don't invite him to come and sit in his own house. It's him who has invited us into his house. And what we understand when we walk in is that I make up my mind that when I cross the threshold, I am coming to enter in to the presence of the Lord that I know is there. And if you don't understand that worship is you bringing God something, then you'll never get into the flow. You might get into the flow of music. You might get into the flow of rhythm. You might get into the flow of the drums. You might get into the flow of the bass guitar. You might get into the flow of, in the flow of these awesome guitar players. or. These incredible voices. You might get in that flow, but you will never get in his flow unless you're bringing something because he is a king. And when you come before him, you have to offer him something in order to get in. So here's the first thing you need to know about this threshold. The threshold is the place where you decide I'm going in. And when the not, not because the music has started. You decide it before you ever walk in the door. Tonight, I'm wearing my swimsuit. Tonight, I'm sleeping with my swimsuit on. I'm going in. If I have to lay hands on my own head, if I have to wash my own feet, if nobody goes in but me, I'm going to leave there soaking wet because I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. No turning back. So the first thing you need to understand is the threshold tells you where to enter. Here's the next thing you need to understand. The threshold also tells you where the exit is. The threshold says, I'm going in, but the threshold also says, I leave. And here's the thing you need to understand when you leave. Under the threshold is where the river is flowing out. The flow is in the house, but the flow does not does not continue unless you take it out of the house with you. So the flow has to leave. And here's what you need to understand. When you're in the house, you're in the water. But when you walk out of the house, you are the flow. You need to get that. You're no longer in the flow. Now you are the flow. Whatever was happening in the house needs to keep happening in you when you walk out of the house. Now it has to keep happening in you. And unfortunately, this is where we get messed up as a church because I can tell you, man, we love to have church, but we don't always like to be the church. We love worship and preaching and we love to fire up the amen corner and then we like to numb ourselves in the presence of God and feel good and leave and go home happy. But unless you take the glory out of the house, we never change the community. Unless we become naturally supernatural when we leave here so that the supernatural power of God is winning the waitress to the Lord that just took your order and is winning the daycare worker to the Lord who is keeping your child and is causing you to witness to the man who delivers your mail and is causing you to buy somebody's groceries in the Walmart line and unless it's causing you to go to your neighbor's house who's sick and lay hands upon them and pray for them then all you're doing is having fun at church you haven't even found the flow yet because the flow is what happens when see you get, you have to get this the flow does not flow into the house you didn't bring the flow with you it was already there the flow doesn't come into the house. The flow only flows out of the house. And you have to take it when you leave. So he gives us, okay, how do I get in this flow? I want to I go deeper with God. I know there's more. I want miracles. I don't want to just talk about them. I'm tired of talking about them. I want to swim. If, if we can swim, then let's swim. I, I'm tired of ankle deep and splashing to get myself wet and wearing my voice out just trying to get a little glory on me. I'm tired of knee deep. I'm tired of wasting having to dunk myself and dunk myself and dunk myself just so I can get wet. I want to get into a place to where the current carries me. I want to get into a place where I don't even have a choice. The Holy Ghost is taking me where he wants me to go and it's not even up to me anymore what I want to say or do. He moves me where he wants me to go. There is a place like that. There is a flow like that. There is a glory like that. The river is real. It's very real. So how do I get there? Well, he gives you directions, and I'm so glad that he did. So go to the next screen, if you will. He gives you directions, and he tells you three bearings. They're like road signs, and if you understand these three bearings, you'll understand how the flow works. Okay, so here we go. The first one he tells you is that you have to look to the right. Why the right? Well, the right represents the right hand of God. That is the place of power. God works on the left hand, Job says, when you can't see what he's doing. But when he works on the right hand, you always see what he's doing. The right hand of power. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. So you need to understand this. The river is a place that can give you power. Do you understand that the largest cities in the world are powered by one river. Somebody needs to grab that in your spirit. The largest, do you know what? This whole region is powered by one river, the Tennessee River. The Tennessee River is powering this whole region. There is power, enough power power in one region, in one river to light up an entire region of the country. And can I tell you something? God does not have to wait on every church in this region to get on board. God does not have to wait on every preacher to to have a come to Jesus meeting. If God can get one river full of power, it can power an entire region. Revival can spur from one flow. Revival can spur from one region and then everybody else will get on board which it flows. So the first thing you know is that it is flowing toward the, the right. Now, the next thing he says is east. It's facing the east. Now, I find this very interesting. The word east in Hebrew is the word kidma, which means forward, in front. Anytime God is doing something Eastern, it means he's ahead of you, that God is already there inviting you into a moment. So the first thing he says is that the river is in front of you. When God planted the Garden of Eden, he said he put a garden eastward of Eden, and the word eastward is the word kedma, which means in front of Eden. So it was the entrance to Eden. So the garden was in the very beginning. So when God does something in the east, God is telling you, I choose the east because that's the front runner. The east is where I'm going to do something out front of you. So you have to understand this. It it is the east that God chooses to represent anything that he's doing prophetically. Uh, in front of you that is why the bible says in psalm 103 it says that he removed my sin as far as the east is from the west notice he didn't say that backwards why would god say he removed my sin and somebody needs this and every time i got every time i would read this the holy ghost would come on me so somebody just hang on to this The Lord says he had to say it this way, that your sins were not removed from the west to the east. Your sin could only be removed from the east to the west. So he cast it to the east in front of you. Why would God put my sin in front of me? Why would, I always thought the cross meant the sin was behind me. And now I'm feeling condemnation. I'm feeling regret because every time I look back, all I can see is how I failed. Every time I look back, all I can see is how I messed up and what I used to be. And I thought I needed that for a testimony. And God says, no, I did not cast your sins behind you. I cast your sins to the east in front of you so that every time you look behind you, there's nothing there. When you look behind you, it's empty. I didn't want your sins chasing you. I didn't want the devil in your rear view mirror. So I cast it all the way. See, behind me is the cross. That was the sacrifice. But in front of me is the throne room where the the gavel of God comes down and says, you are innocent. God said, I threw your sins all the way to the judgment seat. That way, for the rest of your life, you do not have to look behind you. You don't have to look backwards. Your sins are not chasing you. When you look backwards, behind you nothing is there do you get that nothing is there when you look behind you nothing is there and on the day of judgment when he opens up the book of life to judge you out of it guess what nothing is there because the blood of Jesus has wiped away the ordinance against you and if you can ever really grab that you don't have to feel guilty another day of your life if you can really grab that you can quit your self-condemning and your condemnation and living in the past and living in your guilt because Jesus says, I put it in front of you because that is where the Holy Spirit is and that is what I want you to look for. Hallelujah. Can you give God praise in his house? Here's the other thing he said about the east. It's on the screen here. He said, from the rising of the sun, somebody tell me which direction the sun rises in. Rise in the east, it's in the west. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the name of the Lord shall be what? So what is God saying there? He says, you need to... Put praise in front of you before you start your day. You might not like getting up early, but check in with God before you check in with anybody. He said, put praise in front of you. You know, uh, Smith Wigglesworth, I've read his autobiography. He's such a fascinating man. But you know how he started his day? Smith Wigglesworth, this old staunch English gentleman, would get out of bed and dance before the Lord for 15 minutes in his bedroom before he would ever talk to anybody. He danced before the Lord for 15 minutes before he ever did anything. Then he read his Bible for the next two hours and prayed an hour. Before he ever spoke to one person, he had already spent three hours with God. But the first thing he did was from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, he put praise in front of him because east means in front of me. East means I'm pursuing it. So when God sends you east in scripture, he's telling you something that's going going to happen hallelujah you see when moses stretched out his rod it was a what a west wind a north wind no what kind of wind an east wind that tells me God was already on the other side of the victory. God was just saying, "Come on, I just want to see if you'd step in. I'm already here. I'm sending my." All God did is blow back on him. He was already there, and he parted the waters with an east wind because the victory was already in front of them. And can I tell you, for some of you tonight, your victory is already won. God just waiting on you to step into it. It's already there. It's not something you got to labor over, and not something you have to fight on. It's already won. Hallelujah! It was the tribe of Judah that that God assigned to camp where, Perry? He told him to camp where? East, east of the tabernacle. Why? Because Judah means praise. And when God says, when the tribes of Israel are marching, I want Judah to be on the east because Judah is the one sending forth the sound of praise before everyone else. And so when you understand that and you wrap your head around it, you get this. East means no retreat. East means forward march. So if you're really getting in the flow, it's not a wishy-washy flow. If you're getting the flow, it's not, oh, I like it on Tuesday, but I'm going to go back to what I like on Wednesday. I'm going to go to church, and then I'm going to go to my computer after I get home. No, it's not about that. It's not that kind of flow. It's about saying, God, I want you so much that whatever you're doing, don't do it without me. I want to get right in the middle of it, and it's you telling God, forward march. I am going because you're already there, and you're inviting me into this miracle. So here's the last bearing that he gave us. Remember, he said right, that's power. East, that that's forward, that's out front, that's that's the future. And then he said, the next one is altar. And this is what he said about the altar. He said, the flow comes down south from the altar, which means that your flow can never be higher than your altar. Your altar determines the current of your flow. I don't care how good of a singer you are, if you don't pray, you don't have a flow. God doesn't need your talent that bad. And I'm not talking to these guys because I know these guys. These guys are amazing. God doesn't need your talent that bad. God can save a drunk under a bridge and replace you in in two days. God doesn't need you that bad. Uh, God doesn't need your gift that bad. But I'll tell you, the, the, the height of your flow or, the, or the, the current of your flow is determined by the height of your altar. You see, when you lose your flow, anybody besides me, because I have, anybody ever lost your flow? It's like, man, I, God used to speak to me. It was so easy, and now I'm in this season, and it's tougher than it was, than it used to be. When you, are it, when you lose your flow, you don't need to go read a book. When you lose your flow, you don't need to go sing a song. When you lose your flow, you don't need to go to a conference. When you lose your flow, there's only one thing that can get it back. You've got to build the altar back. You've got to go back to the altar because the height of the altar determines the strength and the current of the flow.